Welcome to Ecumenical Musings podcast. In this edition, we're going to reflect on what I consider to be a very important part of the ecumenical process, but one that is often overlooked by many, even those who are committed ecumenists and are heavily involved in both the promotion and dissemination of ecumenical thoughts and ideas. This does not mean that they have rejected what I'm going to focus on. Being overlooked is very different to being rejected and intentionally moved to one side. In 2006, Professor Paul Murray of the Centre for Catholic Studies based at Durham University in the United Kingdom began to explore and develop a new and different way of approaching ecumenism and building relationships between different churches. He felt that ecumenism needed a fresh emphasis after around 70 years of hard work and very successful activity. He and his colleagues also saw the need, particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, to emphasise the concept that ecumenism begins with a better understanding of our own church's beliefs, doctrines and traditions. For Murray, having knowledge and understanding of what a church believes and practices was an important beginning when it came to being in conversation with members of different church traditions. This did not negate the productive conversations and dialogues that had been occurring between churches for many decades during the 20th and 21st centuries. Statements and agreements had been produced and churches formally accepted each other's views and understandings on key doctrines such as baptism, the Eucharist, and forms of ministry and leadership. As I have already mentioned in my previous podcast episode, though progress has been made, it has not always been smooth sailing. Disagreements continued to occur, even though the vehemence associated with past years and centuries had lessened. The process of dialogues, agreements and statements was very formal. Church leaders and professional theologians were the main participants. Agreements and statements were received at national assemblies and synods of the different churches who were involved. Did this flow down to individual congregations and parishes at the local level? This was where Murray and his colleagues focused their interest. Ecumenism in many ways had lost some of its drive and potency by the end of the 20th and into the 21st century. How, they asked, could ecumenism be refreshed? so that more engagement could happen. The result was put to the world through what has become an influential book. Its title is Receptive Ecumenism and the Call to Catholic Learning, Exploring a Way for Contemporary Ecumenism. Murray saw this new approach as being a fresh strategy for looking at ecumenical engagement that is fitted to the challenges of the contemporary context. It begins with a simple question. What can I learn from my ecumenical others? Similarly, what can they learn from me? These, I believe, are important questions that are powerful and life-changing. They depend, though, on two important elements. The first is the art of listening, and the second is having something to contribute to the conversation. Having something to contribute to the conversation means that we must have a good knowledge of ourselves and our church, if we are going to be effective. It is interesting to ask different Christians who are active and committed members of their particular churches about the various practices and customs of their church. 
For example, there are two Easter's and two Christmases. In 2020, at the height of the lockdown in Queensland, when churches could not open their doors and everyone had to stay in their homes except when they went out for essential work or to buy food, I had to contact the police service to remind them about the fact that Easter would be celebrated by some churches on one Sunday and by other churches a couple of Sundays later. This was to ensure that if a complaint was made, then the police service could explain the situation. Yet there are many who are ignorant of this aspect of broad church life. How can people have a conversation about this tradition and practice if they do not know much or anything about the topic? Knowing our church and understanding its life lies at the heart of this approach to ecumenism. This may mean being more systematic in our Bible reading or working more at our prayer life. It may also mean looking more critically at what happens when we attend services on a Sunday or at any other time during the week. We often participate in services without knowing a great deal about their content and possible impact on our lives. This does not mean that everyone needs to have a theological qualification in order to gain this knowledge. Just being open and inquisitive is enough to gain a greater understanding. As we become more proficient in our understanding of our church, we, says Murray, are becoming more confident about engaging in conversation with people from other churches. This confidence to engage is an important first step on what could be a very fruitful and enriching relationship at various levels of church life. How we use the knowledge we have gained is also part of the process of knowing ourselves. The other element of receptive ecumenism is the art of listening. Murray offers this question to help us on our way. What can we learn with integrity from our others? Conversation is a two-way process. We contribute to the discussion and we listen to what others have to offer. In the book, Receptive Ecumenism and the Call to Catholic Learning, Margaret O'Gara takes this process of knowing ourselves as Christians and church members one step further in her article, Receiving Gifts in Ecumenical Dialogue. When we ask what we can offer to an ecumenical dialogue or conversation, O'Gara urges us to see these offerings as gifts that we bring to the table. The same goes for what we receive. We receive the gifts of others, in this case knowledge and understanding, while they receive gifts from us. The knowledge and understandings that we have are seen as gifts that other people can receive and use. Gifts are interesting. They usually come wrapped in paper, sometimes tied up with ribbon. They look beautiful and special. They are given for special occasions and reasons. When offered, the recipient usually thanks the giver. Anticipation then takes over as the ribbon and paper are removed and the gift is revealed. Appreciation then follows, especially if the gift is something that the receiver has always wanted. By using the concept of the gift as a metaphor for our contribution to ecumenical conversation and dialogue, according to Ogara, changes the way we see our participation and engagement with each other. It becomes less formal and more inviting. It can also change the conversation's atmosphere 
and perhaps raises its importance for both participants and their churches. What better way to report on an ecumenical conversation by saying that everyone who participated gave and received gifts? We therefore engage by thinking about what gift we can offer, along with the anticipation of what gift we may receive. How often, though, have we received a gift, and then, once the initial euphoria has subsided, put it away in the cupboard? After a while, we forget about it, until one day we find it and decide to actually use it. There is also the thought that the giver doesn't pressure us into using a gift immediately. It is given without strings attached. We can use it when we are ready. The same goes for the results of ecumenical conversation. We can receive something during the conversation that we file away until a need occurs. Why there are two Easter's springs to mind. We often don't know when we may use information and thoughts from members of other churches that have been gifted to us through an ecumenical conversation. We may think that referring to ecumenical conversations in this way reduces or diminishes the seriousness of the content to be discussed. After all, what we and other Christians believe and cherish lies at the centre of our lives, our very being. What though is our preference? To look upon our beliefs and doctrines of our various churches as dry material that needs to be remembered and digested in order for us to be effective believers? Or to regard those beliefs and doctrines as very important parts of our lives that have given us greater understanding of God and enhanced our relationship with God and other people? This, I suggest, is a necessary aspect of knowing ourselves and being confident about who we are as followers of Christ and members of the different churches to which we belong. While Paul Murray and his colleagues looked at improving ecumenical engagement, I would like to add another dimension to this discussion that takes dialogue and faith understanding to another level. When I began my service as a full-time ecumenical officer, words like interfaith and multifaith were not as prominent as they are at present. Back then, engaging with members of other faiths was not frequent. The only regular interfaith activity was the monthly participation in meetings of the Queensland Forum for Jews, Christians and Muslims and its annual events. This was an important beginning for me that provided a foundation on what eventually came. Having a dialogue or conversation with a member of another faith can be daunting at first. There is the worry on both sides that what is said during the conversation may not be appropriate and could cause offence. Ignorance of different beliefs, customs and traditions often forms the basis of this hesitation and can often derail a positive situation. No amount of reading and researching takes the place of actually being in the presence of someone whose beliefs are different to our own. The forum taught me two things. The first, that good food and conversation and a relaxed atmosphere can build lasting relationships. The other members of the forum who attended as appointed representatives of their faith became, over the years, firm friends. The second was that I needed to be sure that what I contributed to the conversation and business of the meetings reflected my Christian faith and beliefs. In an informal way, I was learning even more about myself and what lay at the core of my spiritual being. 
If we relate this back to the work of Professor Paul Murray and his colleagues, listening with integrity about what we may receive from a person of another faith is an important component of interfaith dialogue. As well, what we bring to the table is brought as a gift for the others to enjoy and use when they need to. What was learned at forum meetings has been continued in other interfaith activities and groups. Relationships have been forged and built up. This is especially true since the inception in Queensland of the Queensland Faith Communities Council that began its life in 2017. Knowing oneself in that atmosphere is vitally important both to the health of the group and the health of the faiths whom we represent. All this may sound to some as being a bit pie in the sky. It is too good to be true and doesn't happen in all communities. This is correct. Not every community or church is going to participate in either ecumenical or interfaith dialogue or conversation. Individual people of faith do not always see that what they can offer and receive can be seen as gifts. What is often not said within the realms of receptive ecumenism and interfaith dialogue is the need for gentle persistence, along with prayer and a willingness to participate in these ways. It is worth considering carefully about engaging with others using these concepts, the art of listening to each other with integrity, and thinking that what we offer and receive during these conversations are gifts that can be used and perhaps treasured. We never know where all this may take us. We are building, though, on the work of all who have gone before us as ecumenists and faith leaders. Their dedication, determination and service has given us the framework which we use today. Through our contributions and service, we are laying further foundations for the future. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. You may not agree with everything that has been presented, but I hope it has given further food for thought. I'm Richard Tewton, and I look forward to your company again for another Ecumenical Musings.